Acts chapter 21, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off last Wednesday night. And, uh, and it is good to have uh, Sister Richardson's uh, niece, and I guess her great, I guess this will be great, her great nephews uh, with her. And uh, we're glad to have her uh, and their family here with us tonight. And so um, I'm highly suspicious that they probably know something about Louisiana gumbo. So if you want to catch them before they go, they might be able to share some secrets with you about making some good roux. Uh, I don't know much about it, but I know it's very good to eat. I don't know how to cook it, but I know it's, it's awfully good to eat. And so, but we are glad that they're here. <clears throat> and I will tell, I will tell, um, tell you, I, I got, my, got my feelings hurt a little bit Sunday night. And um, y'all don't believe a pastor get get his feelings hurt a little bit, but I got my feelings hurt a little bit Sunday night. The only person that, that told me I'd done a good job singing was Sister Mary Richardson. And no, none, none of the rest of y'all told me how good I sang Sunday night. So Sister Regina did. She, Sister Regina Worley, that's right. That's uh, right. <laughs> I, I, that's right, Brother Robert. I know. I know. I, sh- I should not even have brought that up. Uh, I t- told him over there before, before church got started, I thought by the time I was, <clears throat> was through with that f- fourth verse, I thought I was doing more yelling than I was singing. But anyways, it was a good song, and we sang it very good. And uh, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And uh, you could feel the spirit of the Lord here in this in this sanctuary, and so I, I'm I am thankful for that. But uh, Acts chapter twenty one, and uh, <clears throat> I want to start uh, sort of where we left off last Wednesday night. I stopped on uh, I think it was about verse nine or so, and uh, just talking about Paul and uh, his response to a discouraging message. If you live for the Lord any length of time, uh, you are going to, at times, get discouraging messages uh, from people that are that are filled with the Spirit. Um, we we mentioned about how uh, that Paul. In fact, I want to read. Let's just read that uh, Acts chapter twenty-one, beginning in verse one. Uh, the Bible says, and it came to pass that after we were gotten from them. And had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patera. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad, or aboard, and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now notice what these disciples said. They told Paul through the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children 
till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And we tarried there many days, and there came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle, or his belt, and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this belt, and thou shalt deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard those thing, these things, both we and they that were of that place, we besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And so we are going to kind of get into some of that here uh, tonight. And, and I'll talk just a little bit about, about the will of God uh, because these were people who were filled with the Spirit. These disciples at Tyre, uh, Agabus the prophet, uh, was a man that was filled with the Spirit of God. And, um, he, and so whenever uh, Paul comes into Tyre, the Bible uh, tells us that uh, if you want to turn back, why don't you turn back to Acts chapter 11 and let's look in verse 19. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, here is what the Bible says. It says, now, when, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Now, I want us to think here for a minute. You see that phrase there where Luke writes in, he said the persecution that arose about Stephen. You remember in Acts chapter 7 where the Bible tells us that Stephen preached a message uh, to those people and there was a man that was there and he held the coats of those people who were stoning and killing Stephen. And now just a few years have passed, uh, somewhere perhaps around a decade, maybe a little bit longer, uh, had passed, and now this man who is responsible or part, partly responsible for the death of Stephen comes into this place and he's a spiritual leader. Now, now you, you, you think about that for a moment. How would you feel? What about the kinfolks? Maybe some of the kinfolks of Stephen. I don't know. Mother father, uh, cousin, aunt, uncle, they remember Stephen's bloody, beat-down body 
And here is the man that is preaching to them that is responsible for Stephen's death. Now, that's hard to wrap your mind around. And I, I know that, that offenses come to every one of us and perhaps sometimes one of the most challenging things that we have in our life is to be able to forgive somebody. Is because it's human nature to want to hang on sometimes to grudges and bitterness and, and offenses. And yet, I know this, generally those things that we hold on to, they don't harm that other person. We're just drinking poison in hopes that that poison is going to kill that other person. And yet here are these disciples, these people, and they're looking around and they see a man that, you know, he's, probably, he's, he's had some, uh, some beatings, he's had some jailings, he's had some challenging times, and he walks in there and begins to minister to that congregation. Now you, I, I would just have to ask myself, it's like, Lord, how, how do you let all this, you know, of course they say time heals all wounds, but whenever you're faced with something that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it took place in your life, and now this person is in front of you, what is the godly response? That's where it's easy to feel the high. It's easy to feel the power of a Sunday night service, but whenever you run in to somebody that perhaps there's been conflict with, that's where it can get down to the nitty-gritty. And that's where people, I just want to tell you, if people say, oh, it's easy being a Christian, it's easy being a saint, don't, don't, don't believe that. It is going to be, now how, how does that work? Well, I think some of that is that it says that um, it is through the Spirit. Um, and, and it was through the Spirit that these people were now warning Paul and obviously something had taken place because when they left there, the Bible indicates to us, Luke does not go into as much detail uh, as he did in previous chapters where that uh, whenever Paul left Ephesus, there was weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. I mean, they were in great sorrow that this man was leaving. That's how much they loved the apostle Paul. And, and now you look and it's through the Spirit that they are warning this man to say, don't go to Jerusalem because if you go to Jerusalem, we're concerned that you will lose your life. Now, how does that take place? Well, I believe it's through the Spirit. Why don't we turn over and let's look, uh, turn over just a few pages. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look in verse 16. Uh, here is, here's the key, I believe, uh, part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So the Spirit is working 
in, in, in their lives and working in our lives. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. Now I want you to look in chapter 3 and let's look in verse 6. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and let's look in verse 6. Here's what Paul writes. He said, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit, it gives you life. And then turn over a few more pages and look with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and look in verse 18. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we have to realize that the Spirit working inside of us is gonna help us to be able to meet some of these challenges and confrontations that we face sometimes uh, even in our lives. And I, I would even go as far uh, as, as even at your job uh, that there are times whenever you are working uh, with people and trying to uh, fulfill what the Lord has called you to do as far as your vocational work goes and to try to have a spirit that is gonna be godly and, and saintly and, and, and that can be challenging sometimes. And yet I believe that there's times where that uh, <clears throat> the Lord uses people. I... Um, can y'all mute me for just a second?
Um, and, and so, uh, again, I just want to encourage you that where you're at, uh, for you to be filled with the Spirit, and sometimes that can be a challenge. And so let's look at this church here at Tyree. They believe their warning. They believed it. They believe this is a prohibition, and it's coming from the will of God that says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to turn out well. You're going to get bound and you're going to be thrown into prison, and you're going to end up ultimately losing your life. Did that happen? Yes, it did. If you read through, and we'll get to that here next Wednesday night, and when Paul landed in Jerusalem, there was conflict that took place, and, and he ended up getting locked up in a prison, and if you're interested in knowing Acts 21 is somewhere around 55, 57, maybe 58 A.D. Paul, most people think that Paul died somewhere around 63 to 65 A.D. So it would take about a seven-year time window for it all to ultimately unfold, but he would have his head chopped off uh, within a period of time, and it was because he went to Jerusalem. Now, let's ask ourselves the questions. Here are some, and there's a lot of debate between uh, between biblical scholars about whether or not Paul was in the will of God or whether he was out of the will of God. And I'll tell you what my thoughts are whenever I get through, we get through unfolding. But look in, go back to Acts 21 and let's look, there, there's, a, there's a clue that we find. Look in Acts 21 and let's look in verse four. Acts 21 and verse four, here's what the Bible says. The church at Tyre said, through the spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. Then look down in verse 11. Agabus took Paul's belt, and then thus saith the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle. And then look down in verse 12. Luke and the other disciples were in tears, and they were urging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So those are the facts. Luke spells them out for us. He tells us, you've got the, the, the disciples at Tyre, you've got Agabus, and then you've got Luke and these other disciples that are crying and they're saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now for those that believe that Paul was out of the will of God, here's their contention. They say that because Paul went on to Jerusalem that he was out of the will of God and it did not expand his ministry to go on and to reach out globally, okay? I mean, this man was a church planner. He was a missionary. He was a Bible teacher, preacher, profound impact. And when he went to Jerusalem, it cut off him advancing the gospel. So, uh, now, Acts 20, uh, let's look in verse 22. Acts chapter 20, and look at what the Bible says in verse 22. Here's what Paul says. He says, and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. And then in 21.14, here's what else we find. It says, and when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, the will of the Lord would be done. So it appears that even though they felt like it was not the will of God, according to Acts 20, it looks like that Paul was aware and saying, I know when I get there, 
it's not going to be all peaches and cream. There's going to be some challenges and difficulties that, uh, that, that we have to face in the middle of all that. Now, for those that also say that he was out of the will of God, look to Acts chapter 23 and look in verse 11. And here's where I believe that Paul was in the will of God uh, because I believe in Acts 20 there was an inkling of this that he said, I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna be bound and then the will of the Lord be done. And then the third thing in Acts 23 and verse 11, here's what the Bible says. And the night following the Lord and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou also, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And so again, I believe that Paul was in the will of God. Now let's look at one couple of other places. Look in Acts 23 and verse 1. The Bible says there, and Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And then look at chapter 24 and look in verse 16. This is a key part right here. Acts 24 and 16. And herein do I exercise myself to always, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And one of the goals for my life, and I pray, and I feel I'm not the only one, I feel that there are you people here that have the same part, is you have a desire to have a clear conscience. Now, if you want a little homework to kind of, as far as private personal Bible study, is take a look at what the New Testament says about the conscience. It is important that you protect your conscience. The Bible says a lot about our conscience. There are things that I can do that can violate my conscience and I can keep pushing and pushing and pushing until I end up what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said they have seared their conscience with a hot iron. And you can, that can take place in uh, your life. And so I look at that. I believe Paul was in the will of God because I believe that he was aware of the challenges he was gonna be facing. I believe that even the disciples there, they said the will of the Lord be done. And then Paul had, and the Lord said, you know, he stood by me this night. He helped me and then I have a pure conscience. And so I believe that Paul uh, was in the will of God through that. So Paul's love for the Jews uh, was so great that the Bible tells us he was willing to trade his own salvation uh, for their sake. Now you say, where in the world do you find that at? Turn to Romans 9 and look in verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. This is where you find a deep concern for the souls of men. Here's what Paul writes. Romans chapter 9 verse 1. I say the truth in Christ... I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself 
were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. There was such a burden that Paul had in his life for the Jews that he felt like I would almost willingly trade and say I would give my salvation if they could be saved. Now, turn over a page and look at Romans chapter 10 and look in verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. It says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And then he says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, why would Paul say this? He he interjects something. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, or you could say the Jew and the Gentile. What Paul had witnessed was this. He had watched the work of revival and conversion to take place among the Gentiles, and so now he was saying that the same thing could take place with the Jews, and yet he was so moved in his spirit that there was a great burden that he was there, and so Paul started looking at that. Now, what about the will of God for our lives? Turn to Acts chapter 27, and maybe some of you younger uh, folks, maybe this will kind of help you look in Acts chapter 27 and verse 13. And uh, some of this was stimulated with a conversation that I was having Sunday night uh, with someone talking about the will of God for their life. And so I'm going to just kind of bump across this real fast and then we'll move along. Look at Acts 27 and 13. The Bible says there, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a great, or against it, a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had done much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they straight the sail, and they so were driven." And we were exceedingly tossed with the tempest, and the next day they lightened the ship. The third day we cast out with our own hands a tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Uh, But then after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me, and have not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and this loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship, for there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I fear, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then I won't read the rest of it. I want to make this point to you. And this, this. God has a will and a purpose for your life. And it does not matter what storms come into your life. Sometimes those storms are stimulated by ourselves. Sometimes 
people make decisions for us and because they make decisions for us, it hinders where we're at because Paul, he didn't want to be on that ship and yet there were people that were making decisions for him because remember he was bound, he was a prisoner and they put him on that ship. There will be times where that in your personal life that the will of God, it looks like there's no way it's going to come to pass and God will work it out. Now, I want to tell you about three quick points um, that we can get from the scriptures whenever we're trying to determine the will of God for our lives. Number one, and again, it's important that you are spirit-filled and word-filled, Colossians 3.16. But all of us have an inner voice of conviction. So what is that voice inside of you saying? And so whenever you're trying to determine the will of God, what is this voice that is saying on the inside of me? I would point out the second thing, and that's this, is the outer voice of circumstances. If you would have told me that this church would be sitting right here, right now, if you would have told me that 15 years ago, I would have said there's no way. Because those of you that's been going to this church for any length of time, you know that this was a big, it was a big wooded area. There, there was, and, and there was nobody interested in selling it. Uh, there was nobody that, you know, we thought we are going to move to 231 South and build down there. And so if you would have told me, y'all gonna, there's going to be a church in this area right here on this property, right behind the old sanctuary. I was like, no, that's not true. But what took place? There were some circumstances that began to develop and we ended up purchasing that property and now we are in this building. And I would tell you this, there are multiple people that have told me that drive by on the circle and they see this thing, I love the lights. This thing lit up at night and they drive by here and this church is very visual from the circle but this right here was just a bunch of woods. Okay, that affected us corporately as a church body. Now, there are things in your life that are taking place right now, circumstances that you feel like, I'm at a dead end. I, I, my husband won't listen to me. My wife won't listen to me. I got a bunch of rascal kids in the house about to drive me crazy. My in-laws is on my last nerve, and I ain't got any money in the bank, and it's just a mess. Now, keep a straight face so none of you blow your cover here tonight, okay? All right, but sometimes the outward circumstances that we're dealing with, we're like, I'm at a dead end. So what do you do? You serve God faithfully. So the inner voice of conviction, the outer voice of our circumstances, and then the deciding voice of the scriptures. There are some things that we know that we should not do according to what the Bible has to say. Though they're very obvious. The scriptures say these are some things that you should not do. So what do you do when you're on a ship and it's about to sink and you're there because you're you're not there because of your own decision making? You be faithful, you serve God, you keep praying, you keep coming to church. You keep reading your Bible, you keep giving, you keep serving, 
you stay involved in those things that God has called you to do and the Lord has a unique way of working things out for your life. That's what the scriptures tell us. The will of God is an important matter in the life of all of us that are servants of the Lord. And so we've got to be faithful in the middle of all the calamities. But then they come down, they stop at Caesarea. Here's what the Bible says about Philip. Uh, Philip is the only person in Scripture that has identified uh, as an evangelist. Turn back and look with that, Acts chapter 21, and look in verse 7. Here's what the Bible says, uh, in, or look in verse 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed, came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. All right, so let's think back for a moment. Uh, you remember in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says it was a great revival that was taking place and it was really moving along in a very positive way. And the Bible tells us uh, that verse chapter 8, verse 1, when Paul was consenting unto death, that at that time it was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And it goes on, look in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them, and there was a revival that took place. Seven, Verse 7, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice. Verse 8, great joy in the city. And moving on into that place, there was a little bit of a confrontation there uh, with a man by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, turn over uh, a page or so and look in chapter 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. And you know the story about where that Paul or Peter went down and witnessed to him. Well, Philip landed in Caesarea and stayed there. He had been there now for right at two decades. So a 20-year time frame, he had been there. And he started, the Bible tells us he had some daughters. Those daughters were prophetesses, so obviously he had some impact on his family. Um, and I want to ask you this question. Um, what spiritual progress is perhaps for us older folks? What spiritual progress have we made in the last 20 years? Where, what, what's, what's happened in your life since 2001? For us that have been serving the Lord for any length of time, what has taken place? What forward progress have you made? And I can look around. There's been a lot of things that's taken place here in the church in the last 20 years that are positive. Uh, there, in fact, there's a host of good things that have taken place in the last 20 years. Have we had some challenges? Oh, yes, we've had some challenges. We've had some bumps in the road, but we have had very much progress that's taken place in the last 20 years. Uh, I was listening to a minister uh, yesterday and it was on 
uh, a video I was watching on YouTube or listening to rather I was busy and so I was was listening to it and this man is now in his early 70s and uh, he said that one of his friends told him the other day uh, and these two two their elders are in their 70s uh, both of them ministers pastors and he said that he has seen so much wreckage not only in lives of ministers but also in the lives of saints that he said that what his goal is now is he said, I want to finish faithfully. I want to finish without shipwreck in my life. Now that's a drastic difference and he was admitting, he said that's a drastic difference from what I had in my life 40 years ago when he first got involved in ministry. And I have to say, when I was a young man, I wanted the biggest church in Dothan, revival, hopping, moving. I still want part of that. But at the end of the day, and I told somebody this this morning, I said the only thing I want people to be able to complain about at my funeral, and I'm going to do my best to do this, okay, is the only thing I want them to complain about is they say he preached too long. Say we wish he'd have trimmed them down just a little bit, okay? But if that's going to happen in my life, I'm going to have to make some choices. And I'm going to have to live a clean and a godly life. And, and I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. Where are you going to be 20 years from now? Now, I personally think the Lord's going to come back before 20 years, but if he tarries... Patrick Youngblood said something to me 30 minute, 45 hour ago, a little over an hour ago. He said, Brother Harrelson, he said, I want you to pray for uh, me and Melissa. Uh, we are looking to buy a house and it's going to be our first home and we want to purchase a home because we're throwing a lot of money away for rent and we want to buy our first home. And I looked over there next to him, and, and here's Wesley. And then Sister Melissa's holding Annalise, and on the other side is little Will. So where will the Youngblood family be 20 years from now? I pray that they are where some of you, that you've raised children in the church, and 20 years from now, Wesley will be 24 25, 26, and Will will be 23, Annalise will be 20. So if you think, okay, where will we be 20 years from now? If you make godly choices, that's why Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Think through this thing. And that means that there's going to be times when you don't feel like doing what you need to do. But if you are faithful and you force yourself because there is a commitment that you have to the Lord, I promise you there will be good things that will turn out in your life. So uh, what are we doing with our lives in a personal way? Are we advancing the kingdom of God with our work? Now, uh, again, forgive the personal reference, but I'm not sure. I don't think my mom and dad ever in their 
I don't think they ever thought we're raising two pastors in this house. I don't, I don't think that crossed their mind. They, they just were faithful and they kept us involved and now in the latter years of their life, out of that home we grew up in, my brother and I are both pastoring churches. But again, it was not their intention to do that. It was just their intention to serve God and to love God and let the will of God unfold in, and it, and it just happened like that in Mark and I in our life. Uh, Brother Bruce Johnson, our district global missions director, called me today and uh, got to talking to him a little bit about uh, Jonathan and Amanda Butler. And, um, and he said, how are they, you know, talking to them about going to Bulgaria? And um, I said, we're trying to get them out of here by September. And he started laughing. He said, trying to get them out of here. I said, yeah, we're trying to, trying to get, them, get them gone. And he said, I don't sound real good. I said, I don't mean it like that, Brother Johnson. I said, we're just trying to get them from here to get them to there. So how many other aimers, how many other church workers, missionaries, how many other kinds of those things are right here in these pews? We don't know the answer to that. But we do know if we're consistent and walking this thing out every week, that God does good things. There's opposition, there's struggle, but the Lord does great things. So let's look now, uh, in, and I've already read this in chapter 21, verse 10, Acts 21, 10. Uh, here is what Paul comes to now. It's Paul's future travails. Uh, Paul's not going to get away from the warnings of the church at Tyre because he immediately comes in contact now with Agabus. And, and Agabus comes in and he binds his hands, binds his feet. It's kind of like a living object lesson. He says, whoever this belt belongs to, this man is going to end up being in a bad spot. And, and we know because we're reading, we're reading it from the backside. We're reading from historically, so we understand. But when you look at what Agabus done, Agabus's actions really resembled a lot that the Old Testament prophets, that, that they did uh, with their lives. Uh, I want to tell you about a song. Uh, it's kind of a... <laughs> It's probably not normal music that you would listen to. It takes a, it's got to kind of grow on you. But I have always liked Michael Card. Michael Card's most famous song was a song called El Shaddai. And Amy Grant started singing that song in 19, in the set, or maybe the early 80s, okay? And so the other night, uh, I was up, a little bit late and I got on YouTube and I pulled up a Michael W. Smith concert and kids were kind of joking and picking at me a little bit but I told them, I said, guys, I said, I pulled up a concert the other night. It was Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. Amy Grant came out about the time I was in high school. And I said, I have to admit, I said, your old dad got a little tearful when I was watching that, a little bit of nostalgic and all that but Michael Card wrote that song, El Shaddai. But go look up on YouTube. Not now. 
But go look up on YouTube a song called Gomer's Song. And what Michael Carr does is he sings through the story of Hosea and Gomer. Now, if you're not familiar with that story, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet, and the Lord told Hosea, I'm going to use you as a living object lesson. And what I want you to do is I want you to go find and marry a prostitute. And the Bible tells us that story. It's a, it's a moving story. Um, and, and Hosea, she, leaves, she has children, and, and, uh, and Hosea's begging her, please, Gomer, don't leave us. Don't stay here with us. And finally, he gets the kids. The kids get a little age on them, and he starts telling the kids, kids, try to talk to your mother. Don't, don't let her go out there and, and get involved in all of that. And, and Hosea would go out there, and, and he'd find her, you know, a week later, two weeks later, a month later, and she'd be beat up, and some old guy drunk, knocking her, I'm using my imagination right now, but just abusing her, horrifically treating her, and Hosea would go find her and pick her up, get her clean back up, get her back in the house. She'd stay there for a little bit, and then she'd get back out again. And what was the Lord doing with Hosea? He was using Hosea to show Israel how they were treating him with all of their idolatry. And so there, there was a lot of that that took place in uh, the Old Testament. Um, Jeremiah destroying a pot. Uh, Ezekiel simulating a siege. What would y'all do if Sunday morning you come to church and about the time I was supposed to get up to preach, I, I got up here in front, out from under pulpit, and I stepped down here and I pulled out this big box of plastic toy soldiers, and I just laid down on the floor in front of everybody, and I just started putting out soldiers and tanks and spread them out. Some of y'all will think, the old boy's done been in his books too long, and... Something got into his brain and is eating his brain up, okay? But you read Ezekiel chapter four and Ezekiel was down in the dirt playing like with G.I. Joe and all of that, a grown man. And he was a prophet and the Lord was using him uh, to simulate a siege. Uh, Jeremiah used a linen garment to symbolize the judgment on Judah. So whenever Agabus comes along and begins to act this thing out, it's not something that is strained. They knew what, they knew what was taking place. And so Luke, again, verse 12, writes about these people that he says that uh, at the moment, uh, they were literally, they, they loved him so much because of what Paul had contributed to their lives in a spiritual way. I, I want to ask you a question. Are, are there people that you love dearly because of deposits that they have placed in your life and in your spirit? I, I think probably all of us do. I I was talking, I don't remember now who it was, but here in the last little bit, um, I was talking about the paramours 
and brother and sister Paramore, especially sister Paramore. Sister Paramore was a she. Her and my mother kind of grew up together, and sister Paramore passed away. Uh, by the way, we got a glass deal coming for the table out there in the uh, foyer, and that table out there was a contribution from uh, in honor of Sister Chumney. And when we get that piece of glass out there, we're going to put a metal deal plate because that's in honor of Sister Chumney and what Sister Chumney contributed to people's lives here in this church. There are others who have passed away and have had great contribution to our lives. I I cannot tell you. Uh, My parents, their contribution to my life, brother and sister Patterson, uh, contributions to my life. Uh, I've thought a lot here about Brother Griffin uh, in the last few, Brother Griffin's 83, uh, will not be around. I don't know if he's not sick or anything now, but Brother Griffin, great spiritual impact on my life. And, and just think in your life, people that have impacted you in a way. And I just want to just tell you here tonight, you need to make a conscious choice. I'm preaching a little bit right now. I'm going to put some pressure on you. You you need to be able to develop your life in such a way so that whenever you are gone from this life that there are going to be people that are going to look back and they'll say, oh dear God, such and so they put so much into my life. They added things to my life. Now if you want to do that, You've got to make some conscious choices. Charlie Jones said this, and I believe it. He said, you will be the same person you are now in five years except for the books you read and the people you meet. Think about that. You will be the same person you are in five years except for the books you read and the people that you meet. So if you want your mind stretched, you're going to have to be around people that's going to challenge you. You're going to have to read books that are going to challenge you, that are going to stretch your mind. But all of us can make an impact. And so here's Paul. Paul, these people are crying. Now who were they? Luke, Trophimus, Tychicus, Sopater, Gaius, Secundus, Timothy, Aristarchus, and Pyrrhus were all of those voices that were speaking in an effort to try to tell Paul, Paul, please, please don't go to Jerusalem. We love you dearly, and we know that if you go there, that it's going to have a bad outcome. And then Paul said, no, I've got to go, and so it's the will of God. So, I'm going to read this to you. Only the future judgment will divulge to us how many ministers and lay leaders and faithful leaders did not step out and fulfill their calling because they found a comfortable nest in a local spirit-filled church. Despite the fact that God was calling them to a more difficult place of service, their comfort and satisfaction caused them to continue to sit passively and not do the will of God. Now, I don't want to run you off. I want you to stay here. 
unless the Lord opens up a door for you to go. But what I do want is I want you involved some way, somehow. More, more than just coming in and just, well, I'm paying my tithes and I'm showing up. We got, there's got, there's more to my relationship with God than just that. And so let me read some scriptures to you. Have we heard the call? John chapter four, verses 34 through 36. Jesus saith unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his works. Don't say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, lift up your eyes and look at the field. They're white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receive wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that sows and he that reaps are gonna rejoice together. John chapter nine and verse four. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 6 and 9. My favorite verses. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Have we heard the call? Well, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I, I know. I know it is. It, it's, going, it's going to cost me some time, some, some blood, sweat, and tears. I, I know. I know that. But one of these days, when you start loading up the harvest, and you start bringing in the harvest, and you hear those words, well done, Tell you a quick story and then we'll go. Brother Raggio called me earlier this week, <clears throat> and uh, when he was passing up in Birmingham, there was a gentleman up there whose name was Arthur Phillips, and and Brother Phillips uh, went to Bible Tabernacle for years, and uh, I don't maybe just a few of you probably Brother Patterson knows where the old original Bible Tabernacle was. There was a hill that was almost a I don't know it was a steep embankment. And this would have been back in the late, this would have been sometime, well, sometime in, the, in the early 90s to mid 90s. Arthur Phillips would go in there and uh, he, would, he, would cut, he would cut the grass. And you couldn't cut it with a riding mower because if you had a riding mower, it would, it would turn over. So Brother Phillips cut that yard. And I, I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was probably as wide as this church is. And it was a, embankment and he would come and he would cut that with a push mower and walk side 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 he did that for about 10 years and he got sick here just a few weeks ago and he ended up he passed away but the week before he died was in his late 60s he come to church had a horrific childhood a man come in and murdered his mother right in, cut his mother to pieces in front of him when he was just a small child. His grandmother ended up raising him, had such a profound impact on his life that it just kind of, I mean, he, he was very much a, just had a challenge as an adult. 
But the week before he died, he told somebody in Brother Sutton's church, he said, hey, I had a dream the other night. I said, Brother Phil, you had a dream? He said, oh, yeah. I said, had a dream. He said, I was walking on the streets of gold. And he said, tell you something else, too. He said, I saw the Lord. And he said something to me. He said, what did what he, what he say, Brother Phillips? He said, he looked at me and he told me, well done. And a week later, he died. Brother Raggio told me that story Tuesday morning while I was heading down to Malone. And uh, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want you to hear. When you get there, I want the Lord to look you right square in the eye. Say, well done. We got to make it. We've got to make it. Let's talk to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, for your goodness. There's times, Lord, whenever I read of, Lord, what Paul has done and and the involvement and the sacrifice, Lord, we feel so insignificant. And yet, Lord, that same spirit that you filled him with, you filled us with. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you help every one of us, God, to hear the call. Even though, Lord, there may be some discouraging words that are spoken to us, I pray, Lord, tonight that you help us, God, to keep our eyes on the harvest and help us, Lord, to be faithful to the end. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you put your hand, Lord, on this church. Keep your hands about us, Lord. Protect us and shield us. But, Lord, most of all, help us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming to Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, the Lord's good to us tomorrow at one o'clock. If it's not raining, if you you have an opportunity, you want to come help us, you're welcome to do so. Friday night power supply, uh, Saturday morning church cleaning around 10 o'clock or so. And... uh, Church will be open for prayer Saturday night and then invite somebody to church Sunday. Lord bless you.